Hello there, Joe, what do you know? I'm ready to go. Hang up the chapel so we don't ruin it, ruin it. The lights are low, no deal, no. I'm ready to go. Keep Hello and welcome to another episode of the Criterion Quest, a continuing podcast series looking at important films and contemporary classics. My name is Chris and I'm joined as always by my wonderful co-host Tom. Hello. And uh, we're back with some Goddard. Jean-Luc Goddard's 1961 film, A Woman is a Woman. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, second film he did? Technically the third, but the second released. Um, okay. Yeah, he had, I, I want to say, uh, Le Petit Soudat was filmed in 1960 or earlier in 1961, but due to French, um, the French censors wasn't released until 63, so. Okay. And mm. then there was Breathless before that yes. in 1960, mm-hmm. which is, which is referenced in this film. Yeah. Yeah. Just one of the many kind of, uh chip on his shoulder kind of references I pick you, you get throughout the film <laughs> interesting well let's do a synopsis but I do want to talk about Goddard a little bit himself mm. today anyway yeah, but yeah. Let's, do, let's start with a synopsis yep I've got the Criterion website up so the synopsis is a woman with a woman is a woman compulsively innovative director Jean-Luc Goddard presents a neorealist musical that is a contradiction in terms, featuring French superstars Anna Karina, Jean-Paul Belmondo, and Jean-Claude Brial. Brial? Briali? Yeah. Jean-Claude Briali, uh, as at the peak of their popularity. A Woman is a Woman is a sly and playful tribute and interrogation of the American musical comedy, showcasing Goddard's signature wit and intellectual acumen. The film tells the story of exotic dancer Angela as she attempts to have a child with unwilling lover Emile. In the process, she finds herself torn between him and his best friend, Alfred. A dizzyingly compendium of colour, humour, and the music of renowned composer Michel Legrand, a woman is a woman, finds the young Godard at his warmest, most accessible, and revelling and scrutinising the mechanics of his great obsession, the cinema. Okay. Interesting that it says it's a tribute to Hollywood musicals. Well, I mean, in a sense, it is. I thought that it's it's kind of an, it's a very unique film. Uh, the editing is so eclectic, and the way that it presents itself with the characters breaking the fourth wall, and uh, a lot of their fights just seem to roll into some kind of you know rhythmic dance or or a song. But at the same time, it's. I mean, the the score is there to provide some kind of musical, but it's also quite jarring jumping in and jumping out and uh, while it's it's definitely a score it's sometimes not very musical if, if that makes any kind of sense I, I got the i would describe it in like as a musical it's like musical blue balls if that makes sense <laughs> yeah okay yeah, yeah. where it's like moments in the film in both like the performance and the heightened emotion and things of what's happening with the characters and the scenes kind of builds up in crescendos as as does the music and then just no this is like, like, it's like, this is where we would break into a giant musical number, but no. Mm. <laughs> and we're just going to move on. Yeah, the score kind of punctuates as, uh, you know, what's happening as much as silence punctuates what's happening. Mm. So it's, it's, it's an odd, it's an odd take on a musical if it's supposed to be a musical. Yeah, I've got a couple of quotes from Goddard, actually. 
Um, he describes the film as the idea of a musical, which is kind of where I got the notion of, like, you know, it's that crescendo point, but instead of breaking into song, we're going to hard cut to silence. <laughs> um, and he said it's also a celebration of the nostalgia for a musical. So it's, okay. you know, paying tribute to that older style. And then, as Criterion have said, it's a neorealist musical. So, I mean, obviously, the deconstructionist nature of what doing a musical without it being a musical, I guess. <laughs> it's confusing. Like, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I, I was watching it and I was entertained by it. Uh, mm. The fact that it is jumping into a musical and teasing you and jumping back out, I, I thought was, it, it was fun. It was like a, it was like, it was playful in nature and... While playful is playful is like the perfect word to describe it. Yeah, and it kind of reminded me of of actually like Looney Tunes uh, cartoons, um, the similar kind of score where it's kind of punctuating movement and um, it's really bombastic and 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 uh, ca- kind of cartoony in nature. Even the acting, their fights are, are very uh, cartoonish at times. Oh yeah, um, over the top, playful, and yeah, it's just go- he's going for comedy and laughs with it all. That's yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, I'm reminded of the that the rolling R's fight. Yeah, yeah. It, it felt very Looney Tunes to me, um, but mm. yeah, it was it was very playful and entertaining in that regard. It's similar as well, like they're holding up titles of books to like as insults to each other. It's like the Looney Tunes like holding up like signs that are like you know yeah. have the insults exactly. and stuff. Mm. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's a good call. But it's um, it, it it's full of like wit and creativity, and really revels in the the notion of tearing something down to create something new. I guess like he he's he's very like it's very clear he's wanting to do a romantic comedy in the style of like old American romantic comedies, like down to the point of. In the opening, uh, the opening credits have it's just like single giant like words filling the entire screen, and one of them is Lubitsch. So it, and referencing Ernst Lubitsch, the filmmaker, and down to the point of uh, Alfred, the um not the boyfriend but the best friend who she wants to like steps in to have the baby with. His surname in the film is Lubitsch, like it, as a nod to him and things. So okay, but so there's a, there's a lot of meta stuff going on here. Yep, yeah. yeah. It's that thing of, like, yeah, Goddard and Truffaut and stuff came in the, like, late 50s, early 60s, came out of being film critics and film lovers and writers for Le Cinema Magazine, which is very prominently featured in one scene at a bookstore as well. (laughs) Um, Again, that kind of meta self-awareness nods and things. Um, Mm -hmm. It's them coming into making films with, like, a hyper-awareness of film and film history and film culture and what, what you do. And so there, he's just essentially like, well, what if I take all of these elements of, you know, light and fluffy romantic comedy, musical, all of these things, and just kind of twist them on their head and take these conventions and create something new out of it. So would you say it's kind of like an in-joke between filmmakers almost? To some degree, I kind of get that a little bit um, with... Goddard and to a lesser extent early Truffaut where it is just they are fucking with form and structure for the sake of saying kind of loudly proclaiming to the world like hey you can do this like Mm -hmm. you don't have like we can have our characters break the fourth wall we can have multiple pan like shots that just pan over a room and we superimpose letters that explain the emotional intent of the scene (laughs) yeah like there's nothing saying that you can't do this so like 
and this one in particular, I feel as God, I'd been like, let's fucking do everything all at once. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a, that's where I kind of have a little bit of an issue with the film. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, it is, yeah. it's, it's charming. I found it quite charming to the point where mm. it, it feels like, you know, a mainstream romantic comedy, uh, but it does push the boundaries. I think it was commercially not very successful in America and did pretty well in France. I think obviously, you know, it, the French want to support their, their own artists to a large degree and everyone, you know, would. not just that, but like, this is at like the peak of the wave of, like, you know, French New Wave kind of taking the world by storm and things. And so, you know, uh, Goddard coming off of Breathless and Anna Karina is, like, one of the biggest stars of the world and the two of them get married, like, shortly after this yeah. film's made. And, you know. So, she's his, his wife. Is she... I mean, she died last year. Yeah, unfortunately. Uh, actually, she died, yeah. like, in December last year, so really recently. Yeah, not that actually. long ago. Like, just, like, yeah, I remember there was a big thing about, like of her the oscar in memoriams and things and huge outpouring for when she passed away and so she Mm. was married to him uh for the rest of her days uh no (laughs) they they did not (laughs) they didn't last they did not they did not last um she made eight films with goddard uh vis-a-vis um yeah oldest profession Le Petit Soldat made in the USA Band of Outsiders and Alphaville um so yeah She's she's uh, she's a lovely leading lady. She's charming uh, as all hell. Absolutely, like, and she has a, a yeah. nice. I mean, she can be sexy, but she can also be quite innocent, and uh, there's a, a quite a bit of scope there. So, mm. she, I was charmed she's one by of those, her certainly. Yeah, she's one of those actresses that, like, the second you see her pop up on screen, she, she has your attention. Yeah, and and I don't know. And it's that's not even necessarily having to do with her looks, like, even though she is absolutely gorgeous to look at, but there's just something about her presence on film. She was, like, she's, like, one of those people that was, like, made to be a film star. Like, yeah. Especially yeah. when she's breaking the fourth wall, looking into the camera and winking. Uh, yeah. You know, you can't help but connect with, with her. And then, again, like, in... Combined with, like, the... The pastels and the brightness of the colours that um, Goddard's dressing her in and, like, you know, shooting her around. It's just... She just pops off that screen amazingly. Well, I mean, the the apartment is... It's so old and... I mean, it's so old and white-looking and and kind of bare-bones. And Mm. she's she's always, as you're saying, just completely popping out as a result of what she's wearing and and her her makeup. I think she's got, like, the blue eyeliner and all that sort of stuff, so... Yeah. Well, interestingly, uh, that uh, the apartment was the only set in the actual film. Everything okay. else was uh, sort of running and gunning and shooting kind of out on the streets and stuff. A um, little bit of, uh, like, doing the research and things for this one. So, apparently, uh, the film was only shot, was shot in only five weeks, um, and there was no script. Okay, I, I kind of felt that. I felt like when they're playing with the books... Yeah, with the lamp, you know, when they're t- bringing, bringing the lampshade around with them through the room to hunt for the books, I felt like that was a very kind of in the moment. One of the actors going like, you know what, I'm going to pick up this lampshade because it's going to look nice. Yeah, apparently they had a really detail, an extremely detailed outline for like the story, but no dialogue. So they kind of improvised and played, which was why they were able to kind of create so many unique little moments and kind of fuck with the form so much because it's like, well, we're not sticking to a rigid structure we can do whatever and um because of that like 
the film and like the improvisational tone, the film kind of sh- end up shifting into almost like a cinema verite where it's like, we're just shooting real life to some degree. So it's all the actors are wearing their own clothes mm-hmm. and they like run and gunned and like shot out in the streets to get like real reactions and things. And, um, apparently they'd found this perfect apartment that was owned by an older couple, but at the last minute they said no. And so they had to actually build it as a set. Okay. Because they needed it but, to be big enough for um for him to ride his bike around and things. So, so there is some planning because I did feel like yeah. Th- there's a lot of those. What, what's the lens you call that the, they're using in the house all the time, where it's the edges begin to wrap? Is it a kind of uh, wide, strange? It's just wide a wide angle, angle lens. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and it kind of had mm. this uh, a strange quality to it, where it was it just felt like a, a little bit unrealistic in a nice in a nice way unrealistic um, but, but they, also wi- like it's it's withdrawn at that same time which which is like where the verite comes in where it's almost like you know voyeuristic where we're kind of sh- just plonked ourselves into this living room of this couple and it's just we're witnessing it there's no mm-hmm. real coverage so to speak it is just the, a lot of those kind of slowly panning around the room and following the action as it happens it's not coverage like you know traditional coverage yeah, well, I, I think that's kind of... It's intriguing because it seems like if the actors are uh, ad-libbing a lot of the time, it felt like the cameraman was doing the exact same thing and then in the edit, you would play again uh, to, you know, get the finished product. So yeah. everything seems highly experimental. Yeah, I think there's also some moments where you can actually, um, if you're listening carefully, you can hear, like, the crew in the background because of, like, how... They just kind of mic'd everything so because they didn't know where or what was going to happen. So, yeah, apparently in some mm. scenes you can hear, like, you know, the sound or the electric, the the grip be like, you know, make a comment or something. Okay. Yeah, yeah. well, I mean, the score probably was used to cover up a lot of that anyway, I would suppose. Yeah. But but you mentioned that, that some of it didn't, uh, it kind of rubbed you the wrong way. What do you mean by that? N- not necessarily, ru- yeah, I... I might have to walk that back a little bit, but because it's a very, like, I, I understand and I get it. And I, I, I really appreciate what Goddard's doing here where it's, like I said, it's using all of these traditional tropes, but then breaking them apart to kind of exempt, like show mess with the form of cinema. Like you can, you can change things. You can do whatever. You don't have to stick to these rigid. I've made a musical. That's not a musical essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, don't love what it's in service of, though. Like, if, okay, if that makes yeah. sense. Like, I, I, I loved Contempt. I loved Contempt. Uh, Alpha Bill is great. Band of Outsiders is great. I love Breathless. But this one, for some reason, it's like... Because all of those other films have the, the fucking with form and structure and everything. But it's in service of a greater thematical drive. Whereas mm. this one seem to lack that for me uh would you say that the film i mean i think i might bring up roger ebert at this point because he gave it two out of four stars okay and said at 84 minutes it's overly long and it's a short film (laughs) yeah He, he didn't like it very much i mean he thought it was average and he knew obviously he knew that it wouldn't be too long before um goddard would make you know some absolutely fantastic films but yeah, he he also felt that it was lacking in uh, to some extent, and I guess f- for me, the characters Angela and Emil, they're 
they're always batting heads despite loving each other. And I found it hard to... I found it hard to step into their situation and sympathise because they're, they're kind of... They're feeding off each other's uh, rough surfaces, you know? Like, they're, they're constantly yeah. bouncing off each other and, and pushing and, and prodding and pulling. They're, and, they're like um, one of those annoying couples that, like, love to fight each other. That's, like, what their relationship is. <laughs> yeah. So, on, on that mm. level, I was like... I, I, are you... Is Goddard saying... Is the whole point of the film expressing that love is is great and wonderful, but it but there are problems that are always attached to it when you spend enough time with somebody? And I was like, I mean, I was trying to. Is that what he's trying to say? Because I wasn't really following that yeah. too well. Um, I'm just trying to find. I was reading a uh, Jay Hoberman's essay on the film, and. Um, he kind of tried to sum it up in a very kind of unique way that I don't know if I necessarily agree with. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, sorry. Yeah, here it is. I found it. He's uh, actually quoting Andrew Saris from The Village Voice. Um, yeah, who called the film a documentary not only of Karina, uh, but of the sheer otherness of all women, employing all the resources of cinema to express the exquisite agony of heterosexual love. Yeah. And okay. I, I I get what he's saying there, but I don't think the film, for me at least, effectively did that. Mm-hmm. It it's it, it it's almost to the point of like, all right, well, doing that like we how we've said it's taking the tropes of like romantic comedies and musicals and tearing them down in the way that they're presented in the form. Is that him also making a comment on? the the basic elements that make up those films like you know the unrequited love and the love triangle and stuff like that is it him just saying like by fucking with how we're presenting this and we're pointing out the kind of fucked up nature of these in general of the subject matter itself yeah 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 because yeah yeah i can i can I'm, i'm kind of following with that because there it does seem that he's pushing there's a kind of agitation that comes along with love, which I, yeah. which can happen, but but it seemed like it was, you know, innate with these people, absolutely innate. And then if you mm. call the film a woman is a woman, it seems like you're taking her as as Angela, the character, as a, uh, you know, the quintessential woman. And then if you apply that to all women, oh, you know, like the like the title is trying to do, it seems to me, then it's a oversimplification and. It just seems to be too simplistic in nature. Like it's not, it, it, not not everybody is um, carries with them a supreme amount of agitation when they're you know together with somebody else. So, and it, as well, like I found, ends up being a very male centric film for for a film entitled A Woman Is a Woman. By the time the film ended, I kind of got a sense that it's more playing off of like a woman is a woman is a woman is a woman. Like you know like almost okay. an ellipsis there where it's just like you know they're all one in the same almost because yeah. yeah just because yeah, it's very then- much like uh angela is while she's amazing in the film she's not really a character she's only there to serve as an antagonist or object of love for the two men 
And I was reading something where they're like, uh, I forget who it was, but they described Angela as like, she's less of a woman and more of like an encompassing of the idea of a woman. In particular, like Goddard's like idealized version of like, a woman is sexy, fun and flirty and does what she's told. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I I don't know. I mean, she she has her own motivations and that is to get pregnant and and she she wants certain things um, from her life. Out of her life, but but, this, but when questioned as to why she wants those things, she never answers. True, which is kind of frustrating, and like that—that's something that could give her agency, and instead just makes her a like adds fuel to the fire of her and Emil's bickering. True. Okay. It, it it's like it, it's the thing of like I did not hate this film. I I really enjoyed watching it, but. It's just at the end, I'm like, what was this all in service of? Like, there was what? What are you? What's he saying? What's he doing? Like, what's the over, what's the message essentially? Other than fuck it. <laughs> yeah. Other than you know, let's do a, a, a film experiment. Um, yeah. And and tackle technicalities without yeah, tackling which, the substance of a character so much. It, it's it's almost like we've got like a reversal from like the Stray Dogs episode where you were just like, what's what's it all in service of? And I'm like, popcorn fun. <laughs> and this yeah, yeah. one is like, what's it all in service of? Fucking with form. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's, I guess that's why it wasn't a commercial success in say the US because, and, and that's why I think it is, it, it lends itself to being, you know, an in-joke between filmmakers and film buffs because I, I absolutely loved it on a technical level. Yeah. But, but I mean, our conversation is, is lending itself, pushing itself towards, but what's it, like what's it really mean? Yeah. Not, not so much, yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, like, on, the, on that note of, like, the in-jokes, for, like, obviously I'd said there's the, the Le Cinema magazine that's very prominently featured, um, you know, and uh, Alfred asks, saying, like, he can't really go out tonight because Breathless is on TV and he wants to watch it. Which is very masturbatory yeah. for Goddard, and then um, it's like something that yeah. T- yeah Tarantino would do and stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then you've got um, uh, Jean Moreau having a cameo as like a woman at the cafe and things, and they ask her like, "How's Jules and Jim coming along?" Which is the film Truffaut and her were shooting at that time. Okay. And then yeah. they go on to talk, and then they go on to talk about shoot the piano player, which was a book that Truffaut had turned into a novel, uh, into a film the previous year, starring her. So it's like it's, it's in jokes. They're very much like, oh shit! Like, what? You're not a character. You are just you. And I'm also now breaking the wall of I'm not a character. I'm me. And we're going to discuss our lives because we're all friends. Got Arden, movies. Got Arden Truffaut having a conversation by making a film. Yeah, yeah, and then it's, it's I more think, than like, that, it's but the, yeah. yeah. But but you know what? But like back on. Go on. So, sorry, you go. You go. But all, all that aside, I still think that it that has it has considerable value. Oh yeah, very much so. If nothing else, it's like that. It is that kind of stepping stone film from Breathless to that will lead you to the like where Goddard would go in, as a filmmaker. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if it was my second slash maybe third film. Uh, I'd be fucking stoked because it, yeah. it, it does it, if you really if you're really going into it you can find its flaws but uh, on a surface level and a little bit deeper it's it's still it's still quite funny and yeah. completely charming oh, yeah, I, I, I laughed I had a great time watching it but yeah it is it's very much and I think it is that 
because the last Goddard film that we did was Contempt, and we we spent a lot of time cracking that nut open, and yeah, that was fantastic. I loved I loved it because of that, and it's like very clearly like, and there is that kind of fucking with with kind of structure and form and stuff in there, but it's also in service of such a deep and powerful theme that. I, I and having that be the last one we saw, then going back to this and not having that was kind of left me a little bit empty. I think that's why I'm kind of a little bit harsh on it, which is not a fault of the film. No, no, because it's a progression. I mean, Goddard has made I think 44 films. His last yeah. film came out e- even in, up until uh, like the Image Book last year. He was yeah. still he's still making movies. Yeah, I think that's like that's right. It's like his his career is like sixty years, I think it's mm. close to sixty years or whatever. So, you know, you got to start somewhere, and 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 quite frankly, this is better than uh, than the vast majority of filmmakers' um, <laughs> films in general. <laughs> I, I will say I, I've seen a because we're obviously all in isolation and stuff now and have nothing but time, I've been watching a shitload of movies. I will say, this is way the fuck better than Bad Boys 3. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that it is. <laughs> I'm sure that it is, mate. I, I will not be watching yeah. that, so I, I won't be able to comment on that I ever. I was shocked at how terrible that was. <laughs> really? <laughs> I'm not, yeah. I'm not surprised at all. Because I like I like those first two like, quite a bit, and then this was the third one was like... Yeah. <laughs> it was like a Will Smith movie, like post Bad Boys 2. Well, it was, it's amazing. There's a part where, like, uh, I'm sorry, like for the next minute or two, spoilers on Bad Boys 3, as if anyone gives a shit. Um, Will, in the opening of the film, Will Smith gets shot and dies. And then, you know, he survives. Like, you know, they bring him, resuscitate him and bring him back to life. And at this point, Martin Lawrence is retired because they're fucking old as shit. Yeah. <laughs> and he's a grandpa now. <laughs> and then um, Will Smith comes to him and he's just like, it's, I like couldn't stop laughing because it's, it's not the characters. It's literally Will Smith going up to Martin Lawrence and saying, we got to do this. You have to, I, just one more time. I'm like, I need this. Can we go for one last trip? And I'm like, this is not the, this is Will Smith actively saying, I need this. I need another hit film. I'm so shit now. I have not had a hit in years. Please come back. We need to do this. This is just a casual phone call between two friends in Hollywood Hills. Yeah, and it's it's Will Smith like pouring his heart out and being very meta about like I need to have a hit again. I haven't had one in twenty years. Yeah, it was because not taking a fucking risk. Sick of him. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I got- he would have been a great Django. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he would have been. He would have been. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. that that was a weird diversion, but um, about the back to Goddard. <laughs> um, it's I think the the film like the how we're. Like, you know, obviously we spent so much time being like, what's, you know, what's it doing? What's it saying? What is the film? Um, Like, we haven't even brought up the fact that the film itself multiple times addresses that. Where it's, you have characters saying uh, they don't know if they're in a comedy or a tragedy or a musical. Like, they're just actively telling us, I don't know what I'm in. Well, they, yeah, that's right. Emil says at the very end, I kind of, I kind of laughed a little bit at this. He says, I don't know if this is a comedy or a tragedy, but it's a masterpiece. And I was thinking, yeah. like, immediately I was just like, you know, Schwastika carved in the forehead, Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> Going back, you're tying it back into Tarantino. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, I don't know. I can't, it, it seems to happen a lot when I'm 
thinking about films. I've been, I just watched Pulp Fiction, so I, mm. Tarantino's on the mind. I, I think as well, it is like, I, I think Goddard is an insanely masturbatory filmmaker <laughs> in the same way that Tarantino is, mm-hmm. where like he, he's sitting there watching the monitor just giving himself high fives all the time. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. And, and yeah, that, when, you, when you're producing stuff like they are producing, that's fine. But it's the, which is why, like, all, every time there was, like, the meta nods, I'm just, like, it, I, I'm like, this would have played amazingly cute and fun back in 1961, but now watching it, you just, it just, you see the, like, yeah, we're awesome, <laughs> kind of behind it all. <laughs> I, I, the, yeah, the, I kind of, there's aspects of that, but I think overall, uh, the charm allows you to get beyond mm. that and engage beyond that uh it's just yeah. it's little things like like the end when you know the, the whole film's done and there's i don't know what, what you would call it the 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 f- camera moves up and it's got that sign in the background through the window fin or would you the, call that like a dia- the neon sign it's like a diegetic fin i'm not sure what you would the name for that is but it's just kind of like there's no there's no it's just a little bit of flair there's no real meaning behind it but you're just like huh i kind of just like that because of the aesthetics is the aesthetics of it's kind of nice and a lot of the film was like that the way i could describe this film if someone were to ask like what's what's it like to watch i i would say it's like watching a prolonged michelle gondry music video are you gonna have to explain that i don't know who that is uh he's the guy that made eternal sunshine oh okay um okay yeah, where where it's and made a buttload of music videos. Where it's it's again a guy that likes to fuck with form and structure and like lots of practical effects and weirdness of like panning across and having text come up. Like you know, very heavily influenced by Goddard. But it's okay. like it it just seems like the the playfulness of fucking with everything. It it reminded me of uh, Michelle Gondry, where it's like let's just mess with cinema. Yeah. I think, I think we're like kind of reiterating that for any kind of cinema buff, anybody that's going through the Criterion Collection, they're gonna they're gonna get considerable enjoyment out of the technicality anyway. So, actually, I was reminded of uh, yeah. Punch Trunk Love as well. Oh yeah, you know, like those sequences any in Punch. Any scenes in particular, or just the you know you know those like eclectic, uh, high fast paced anxiety inducing sequences in Punch Trunk Love. I think there's like a sequence where Adam Sandler's character's in his warehouse and he's just constantly going around and there's uh, there's chaos and there's the, the drums and there's this kind of like really... And, the sist- and his sisters keep calling him like one-on-one-on-one. On one, like, yeah. yeah, and it's kind of... Uh, it's, there's a heightened sense of, of anxiety and, and I think that film pushes that further than this film ever does. But just the fact that there's a lot of the... Especially the outdoor sequences when they're in the street the camera and the editing is jumping so frequently and, and so jarringly, same with the score, that you get that that anxiety, a little bit of anxiety, not as much as Punch Drunk Love, it, mind you. but Yeah, it, pu- it puts you on edge for sure. Um, and I think that's just because it's like, oh, God, have it, like what? That's not what you're supposed to do. Yeah, <laughs> like, but, but that's right. It's, yeah. it, you go... You go exactly like, oh, okay, what? I don't, I don't understand why you made that creative choice. You've made it, and I am kind of tickled by it, but I yeah. don't fully comprehend why you have done that. Uh, there's a kind of few, a few 
creative decisions in there where I get that kind of sensation of, of I enjoy it, but I don't yeah. fully... It's, it's experimental and I can't really get down to the bottom of why you would make that decision. Maybe it's over my head, and, maybe it's not, I don't know. And, well, my, like, I'm, I'm in, in the exact same boat where I'm just like, uh, okay, yeah, you what? Why? Why did you do that? And I guarantee the answer would be, why not? <laughs> yeah. That, that, like, that's essentially what this film is. It's like, <clears throat> you're not supposed to do that, well, why not? Like, just, we're doing this because, fuck it. Like, it hasn't been done before. Who says you can't do that? Let's just do it. Let's yeah. just have high, high ten, like, you know, build up crescendo of musical number, cut to dead silence while she's outside. Then we'll have, mm-hmm. like, six bars of music again, then dead silence. Like, yeah. And it doesn't, yeah. and it doesn't really match with what you're saying. It just kind of happens. And so the, the score yeah. becomes sometimes separate from the visuals. Um, I, I don't want to be too negative because I, no, no, no. You know, it's, like, it like sounds that's like we're being negative, but it's yeah, it's that's happening, and you know, it, it sounds like I would interpret that as you don't know what you're doing, but I, but I know that the core value, the, the core reason why you would do that is not just because why not, it's just because I'm playing, and that's yeah. and and it's fun to I, play. So but, and I can get behind that. Well, well, that's that's what I meant by why not. It's like why would you do that? Well, why not? Mm-hmm. Like. I'm playing, I'm having fun. Like, that's what art is supposed to be. We're supposed to have fun and express ourselves and be creative. So that's all I'm doing here. And we're clearly all having a great time doing it. And I'm putting something that's light and fun and playful up on screen. So enjoy, motherfucker. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. So it's a... Hmm. The film warms the cockles uh, considerably, despite you kind of scratching your head from time to time. Yeah. And it's, like, filled with just lovely little nuggets of creativity, like, um, when she's at the the strip club and things, and there's, like, that curtain that walk, you, the girls walk through that, like, a mad, like magically changes their clothes. Like... Yeah, yeah. Weird, fun, little playful stuff. Yeah, it's, it's, it is good. I, I really did have a good time. Hmm. Uh, now, I don't think we've... I don't think we've had a big discussion, but there's not much more... Uh, I can offer because the film, uh, you know, being what it is, without just reiterating this was fun and this was cool and whatever. Uh, yeah, it, it's because it's it's short. It's eighty minutes or you know eighty two minutes or something. Um, at at its core, there's not really much of a story going on or character arcs or developments. It is just kind of playful, weird fun. So, yeah. So are we going to um, end it there? Are we going to end the, the episode here? Or I guess I, uh, I've got some trivia and stuff. I guess, or but like you did say, you wanted to talk about Godard a little bit himself. But have we kind of hit those points already? We've kind of hit those points. I mean, uh, yeah, we've kind of hit the points I wanted to talk about in terms of Godard. I, I think, to be honest, we've seen. We've seen a few of his films, I think, you know, five or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like Fellini or it's like, uh, it's like Bergman. You don't want to, like, I'm, I'm not, eventually we'll get to more Goddard films and we might have a yeah. very good conversation about Goddard. But at the moment, I'm still feeling it through his work and, and exploring his work. Um, mm. so, so, you know, Contempt would be my favorite film of his so far. 
Alphaville was good, and, yeah, this, and I, this was yeah. this was yeah. scintillating, and it was nice to to see where he, you know where he was coming from uh, as a uh, a starting you know starting off point in his film career, and and especially as a major influence and key player in the French New Wave, and this being a film that almost exemplifies that by you know let's let's just play. Mm. And it's great to see that, and but unfortunately, like that's why I likened it to a kind of prolonged Michel Gondry music video. It, it, it's it's all the technical, and it's all these little magical moments, and it, that's really kind of all that the film is. Mm. So it was inevitable we were going to run out of stuff. That's fine. Quickly, but, that's fine. You know, uh, I mean, yeah. it, it's similar to um, our last, yeah. the film we, we watched last week or earlier in the week, since we're doing quarantine specials all the all the time. Uh, Ber- mm. Bergman's uh, smiles of a summer night. It's 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 not quite yeah. Bergman, and this is this is you know a a, a proto Goddard, um, but it, it's really great to see them coming from somewhere. Yeah, I I would say it's Goddard on a technical level, mm-hmm. but not necessarily on a narrative level so or he, an emotional level. He, he did he write he wrote the story. You know, he I think write, him and another friend, okay. a friend of his, like wrote the story and then but because there's no dialogue and stuff it's like well I, he just had that those base elements and because of not having a strict script or like you know direct dialogue for the actors it's harder to weave a concise narrative or a thematical narrative i guess that way it's it's fine i mean if you want to make a film and have a loose plan uh no worries there's been plenty of great films that have had a loose plan uh, probably should pull something now, but I can't think of anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, shit, like, all of the Christopher Guest comedies only go in with um, outlines and no script. Okay. Like, Best in Show, Waiting for Guffman, of Spinal yeah. Tap, yeah, like, yeah. all of that stuff. And uh, Shit, Curb Your Enthusiasm is the exact same. There's no, there's no script for Curb. Yeah. This, this is comedy, so... You know, just let the actors it, do their it thing. It works for it. Yeah. It, it works. It works sometimes when you have mm. professionals that are very, very experienced. Sometimes you don't get that, and you get you know, Ghostbusters, the new Either one. Ah, uh, see, no, I, yeah, I less said about that the better. But like with this one, it's why it works for this, and it like because everyone's playing, and that's what the film itself is. It's it's a kind of play, it's just playing. So you, you're okay with it being kind of loose and kind of lacking that narrative, I guess. Yeah, totally. Hmm. It's a film you can you can get behind, and and you don't have to get hung up on uh, the nitty gritty little tiny flaws that it may have. So hmm. it was great. Uh, on that note, do you want to hear a little bit of trivia about the film? Sure. So, the film uh, was nominated for the Golden Bear at the 1961 Berlin Film Festival, where it won two Silver Bears for Best Actress for Anna Karina and a special prize for Jean-Luc Godard. And the Cahé du Cinéma listed it as the second, as, as one of their best films. Uh, it got the second place in the Top Ten of the Year award. Mm-hmm. This was Godard's first film to be shot in colour, and I think he does a masterful job with that. It has, I love his uses of like reds and whites and kind of clashing. He always seems to use the colors of the French flag, like blues and reds and whites kind of all prominently clashing against each other. It's great. Mm. 
Um, the only other little bits of trivia I had was, uh, according to a May 12th, 1960 article, Goddard wanted Bridget Bardot for the role of Angela, but the actress was not available. Therefore, he chose Anna Karina. I think this was her second role, uh, in yep. her film career. And she had a fucking big career. Huge career, yeah. Uh, her first one was Le Petit Soldat, uh, with Goddard, uh, mm-hmm. which was shot, uh, in 1960, but... As I said earlier, didn't come back till 63. Um, but yeah, they kind of created a romance on set while making this one. Ended up uh, having a baby together and uh, she fell pregnant during the making of this. And then, um, yeah, they got married a couple of months after production. Okay. Is yeah. he... I wonder, is he Is he still going to make films? Because he, he's got to be pretty old by now, geez. Yeah, I'll look up how old he actually is. Like, born in 1930, so that makes him 90... It's a, it's pretty amazing, man, because, yeah, as you said, his last film came out in 2018. I think last year, in 2019, he was he didn't release a film, but he was working on uh, mm. some kind of film-related art installation. Uh, I can't remember the name of, unfortunately, but, but I mean, he's still, he's still working. Like, it's pretty nuts. Mm. Yeah, I know uh, the Image book played at the Melbourne Film Festival last year, and people either loved it or hated it. It was very divisive. Um, I didn't get a chance to see it because I just couldn't fit it into my schedule. And but, and I wasn't really vibing on Goddard that much at that time. That was This was pre-contempt. So. Yeah, yeah, okay. Fair enough. Are you, I mean, yeah. you fucking every time you go to the festival, you're, you're watching more than 30, 40 films. So. Well, not this year. Yeah, well, not this year, yes. <laughs> Ah, well. But we'll move on to the actual Criterion edition itself. Uh, so the film is actually out of print from Criterion. So this is a, it's a fairly rare one if you can track it down. Uh, it is available to watch on the Criterion channel, though, so there is that. But the physical release comes with Charlotte et Veronique, uh, Charlotte et, Veronique et Trop les garçons appelant Patrick, which translates to All the Boys Are Called Patrick, a from 1957, an early short film by Goddard with uh, Jean-Claude Braley, uh, written by Eric Roma. Uh, uh, am I supposed to know that person? Uh, you will soon. I'll oh. say that much. Uh, he's, he's a very prominent filmmaker, and I will have en- end up tackling quite a few of his films. Okay. Uh... Qu'avez-vous, Anna Karina? Uh, excerpts from a 1966 French television interview with Karina Brielli and Serge Gainsbourg, which is pretty cool. Everyone loves a bit of Serge Gainsbourg. You're throwing out a lot of names today where I'm scratching my head. I'm sorry. You don't know Serge Gainsbourg? Oh, man. <laughs> I don't know. Right. When, when we're done this, when we're done this uh, record, jump on Spotify and look up Serge Gainsbourg. Okay. <laughs> oh, man, you're in for a treat. Oh, cool. He's also Charlotte Gainsbourg's father. Like, yeah. Okay. Good stuff. Okay. Uh, publicity for A Woman is a Woman featuring original trailer, rare onset photos photographed by Raymond uh, Chautier, a poster, stills gallery, and an audio promotional recording for the film, as, us- as well as the usual booklet and essays the Criterion usually do. Mm, okay. So a fairly decent addition if you can track down the out-of-print physical release. But, I guess, unless you've got anything else, we'll, we can uh, discuss what our next episode is going to be on. Uh... Let's do that. I, I have nothing more to say. All right. We have two films mm-hmm. that are released together. Mm-hmm. They are both adaptations of Maxim Gorky's classic proletariat play, The Lower Depths. One, the first version, 
is made in 1936 by Jean Renoir. Oh, cool, yeah. Uh, and the second version from 1957 by uh, Kira Kurosawa. Oh, excellent. Okay, yeah. Exciting. They're both great filmmakers, so no worries, man. Yes. So we get to watch uh, how two masters of cinema work differently to adapt the same source material in the lower depths. Great. Very excited. But I guess other than that, that will um, probably wrap us up for our episode on A Woman is a Woman. Uh, Do we want to do an update on the Patreon, possibly? Yes, we can do that. We are... kind of getting everything ready uh on that front and we'll hopefully have uh some concrete stuff for you guys next episode in terms of uh having the page and everything set up as well as breakdown of some of the the tiers and everything we'll, we're doing but uh it's looking like we're going to be doing uh up like a couple of film reviews uh some video stuff hopefully um kind of taking some of the old episodes and some of our favorites and kind of actually turning them into little video essays and things as well as the main thing is we're going to start doing some commentary tracks. Yes, that's right. That's right. They'll be kind of less analytical and more like just hanging out and watching the film. So we'll hopefully have more info for that uh, on the next episode. So stay tuned, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the input, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited. Um Hmm. But uh, again, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, for this week's episode, I'm Chris. And I'm Tom. See you next time. Hello there, Joe. What do you know? I'm ready to go. Just ready to try this radio line. My very first flight at the Charleston tonight.